Hi there, welcome to HR Shop Talk. I'm your host, Andrea Adams. This show delves into the details of HR through conversations with smart, experienced, and successful professionals who've done the work. You can also find me on YouTube where you can interact with me and other people like yourself. Today, my guest is Paula Bernat. Paula has 25 years experience as a senior HR leader and operations manager in the public sector. Currently, she's a people and organizational effectiveness manager in the public sector. She speaks at conferences on safety and has won awards for her work with respect to safety transformation. So I'm really glad to have her talking about the subject today. Hi, Paula, how are you? Great, thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. I appreciate that. And I do think this is a conversation um, that I need on my show, uh, but it's been a bit challenging to find someone because HR people aren't often doing it. To start off with our first question here, so what is critical to safety success and what habits should an organization have to maximize safety? Really, for me, it starts with safety culture. So how do we either enhance or develop a safety culture within the organization? So with that, we're talking about shared values, shared beliefs, shared actions, really that demonstrates that commitment to safety. Right. And I think, um, you know, an important piece that, that I'd like to highlight is, is some folks see safety as, as additional work. And, and how I like to see it is, how can we integrate it into the day-to-day -day, mm -hmm. uh, versus making it this extra job that we have to do? So if we buy a new piece of equipment or we create a new process, how do we integrate it into those activities so it's natural and that safety commitment comes across and then, as I said, further enhances or, or develops that safety culture? So next question, what's the role for HR in safety management? You know, I think first and foremost, the uh, role for HR in safety management is, is, if you think about it conceptually, is protecting an organization's most precious asset, and that's their people. Mm -hmm. However, what you might see in one organization in terms of uh, where safety resides or where the components or parts of safety yeah. reside may differ. So in some organizations, uh, we would see disability or abilities management perhaps might rest in a different area from, uh, let's say, the safety advisor role that would be providing, you know, um, that support on the day to day. Right. So again, it can depend on where safety resides in the organization, but I think, you know, human resource professionals play a key role in safety. Mm -hmm. And I think at a minimum, um, they need to understand the concepts and techniques to a degree mm -hmm. to be able to support the environment. Uh, they know the jobs, they should know uh, the job demands. Those kinds of things are critical in terms of really, uh, uh, I think, solidifying that, that health and safety environment as well as reinforcing the culture. The role of joint health and safety committees. I actually didn't plan on asking a question about that and that seems like a gross okay. oversight. Do you wanna talk about the importance of that? You know, from my perspective, joint occupational health and safety committees, uh, they provide a real opportunity if they're leveraged in the right way by an organization. Mm -hmm to enhance an organization's safety system. Generally, these committees are made up of employees throughout the organization that uh, are doing the work in the organization. And 
have insight in terms of, uh, you know, as an example, as to a hazard or as to uh, what PPE might be required. Mm -hmm. Generally, that's prescribed by, uh, by the work. But again, um, as time goes on, organizations make change. Um, as I said, they maybe implement a new process, bring in a different piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. And I think it's always healthy to have, uh, you know, or the, the Joint Occupational Health and Safety Committees involved and engaged in these types of changes. Mm -hmm. uh, because what, what, let's say, the safety advisor or the, the overall, uh, let's say, operations manager in question, they, they may see different things from, from being so close and doing the actual work that they may mm -hmm. highlight different, perhaps different gaps or different opportunities. Mm -hmm. you, you said uh, at the start of that, you said leveraged in the right way. If the Joint Health and Safety Committee is leveraged in the right way, what happens when they're leveraged in the wrong way? Are there like what, how, how would that go badly? Well, I think, uh, you know, in my experience, in my career, what I've seen is, is when they're not leveraged or not engaged, uh, they become a task that everyone tries to avoid. Oh, uh, well, certainly yes, on the right. management side, it right. becomes something that, you know, it, uh, whoever gets the short straw has to go to that meeting. Um, <laughs> yes. okay. and, and they tend to focus and get a bit distracted in terms of the issues that they focus on. Maybe more housekeeping type issues, or in the case of a unionized environment, maybe more labor management issues than, uh, let's say, really focusing on the core issues that relate to a, a healthy and safe work environment. So safety has a strong moral imperative. Like, we don't want to hurt our employees. Uh, but what's the business case? What's the other side of that? Sure. I think, you know, if I can even go back to the strong moral imperative, how I like to phrase that to people is, I want to see employees go home in the same condition that they came to work in. That's, yeah. that's you know, it in a nutshell. Yeah. I do think that uh, there is a significant business case that, that there is to tell. I, I also think that there's stories that we need to bring forward. Mm -hmm. um, as leaders in an organization to be able to make that compelling case for change. Mm -hmm. When safety incidents happen, they can change people's lives mm -hmm. uh, and impact either how they work, if they work, and how they live their lives. So I, I know uh, that the, the business case or the monetary aspect is pretty significant, but mm -hmm. you know, I have uh, specific stories that I've experienced from employees and thank goodness I've not ever had to deliver the message that someone's passed away while on the job. Mm -hmm. But you know, I've been in a scenario where someone um, has been off for a significant amount of time, has not been able to pursue their hobbies uh, after their injury, mm -hmm. has not been able to do things with their family, has not been able to return to the job that they loved and had to take a different role in the organization. And so I do feel those compelling stories need to go with the business case, of course, mm -hmm. that you spoke of. Mm -hmm. That really lays out, I think, you know, uh, obviously there's the monetary piece. You're not, you're not paying for the absence or the lack of productivity or yeah. potentially someone being on the job, replacing that person that doesn't know what they're doing and maybe yeah. make mistakes. Uh, yeah. And so there are a number of elements when you look at the, the business case, but I like to think of safety as almost an iceberg. So what are the costs that you can, that you can see that are really above the water? Those are pretty crystal clear. 
uh, and apparent, but generally there's a lot of costs that, again, um, that, that occur below uh, the waterline that I don't think we're as good at articulating mm. because they're not necessarily quantitative. Mm, yeah, that's a problem with a lot of things in HR, I think. Yes, yes. With quantifying. Yeah, and, and I mean, as an example, I, I would assume most, most organizations don't want to be known as the employer that injures people. Um, yes, and and yes. that's, you know, that reputational piece would be something that we would see potentially below the waterline, right? Right. Um, and again, some of those elements aren't always, aren't always spoken to or really, um, I think, considered when mm-hmm. people see that business case. And when safety results are really far off the mark in terms of where they should be, that business case is really clear because it can be significant dollars mm-hmm. um, uh, that are at play. Yeah. Um, when safety results are not far off industry norms, mm-hmm. that, that business case becomes a lot more uh, difficult, I, I okay. think, to really um, make the case for change. So what do you do when you're in that middle ground there? Because let's say the results are not um, that far off the mark, people don't necessarily see the call to action. Yeah. Right. So how do you, I think, pull that in in terms of some of those non-quantitative elements into the discussion, as well as the stories to create that kind of case for change. Often in sessions when I was doing kickoffs to talk to leadership about safety in, in my organizations, I would tell uh, one specific story that was quite impactful for me personally. So typically HR professionals or generalists, they aren't that comfortable with safety. Uh, Why do you think that is? I think just like in HR, um, safety has technical complexities. And uh, I think for some HR practitioners, uh, those technical complexities are are seen as as somewhat intimidating. And I think that, you know, uh, I would say, you know, in the last 10 years, we've seen an evolution where we've seen, uh, you know, again, there's a bit more litigation in on the safety side. We've seen folks actually go to jail because of, of, of some of the things that they've done or not done. Mm-hmm. And so I think from that perspective, you know, again, that can be somewhat intimidating to folks in terms of the legislation and the code and the standards, um, because there is a pretty big breadth similar to um, HR proper. I think, again, there's a pretty large breadth mm-hmm. when we talk about HR. So a lot of skills uh, and a lot of um, complexity. Okay, so a number of the workplaces I've been in have a real thing, get her done. Let's just do it, get it done as fast as we can and move on. And that's great, but often at odds with safety. So what are some steps you would take an environment like that to create a safety culture? Generally, what I've seen where it's been most successful is there's been uh, a senior leader engaged and and sees the need for change, Mm -hmm. or there's been a clear signal by a senior leader that that something is is not, uh, that the results are not what's expected. Mm -hmm. And so I think um, you most certainly need that senior level uh, support in the organization, Mm -hmm. and then what's that compelling case for change that I talked about earlier? So what are some of those quantitative details in terms of what are the numbers 
in terms of safe, safety, like what is your frequency at? What yeah. are your last time days? How do you compare to other uh, organizations that are similar or in your industry? Mm-hmm. And what I've also found is, is leaders inherently are competitive. Mm-hmm. And yes. so when you, when you tell a senior leader in the organization, uh, you know, uh, that your accident frequency or your days lost, as an example, are, are twice what, let's say, a competitor or a, uh, an organization in a similar industry that generally sparks a response yeah. uh, in terms of um, in terms of seeing some kind of need for change. Mm-hmm. I would also want to suggest that um, we've talked about this a bit uh, in our discussion around safety culture. Yeah. And there are actual safety culture assessments that you can do in the organization. Okay. And I think those are always helpful to understand um, if you have a vision of where you want to go, is it, is it, you know, the road to zero accidents, the safety culture will give you a sense in terms of some of those non-quantitative aspects. Again, how does your organization see safety and how does it view the, the organization and leaders and supervisors in terms of how they view safety? So Safety culture surveys are something that, again, provide you that benchmark so that you can see and have that opportunity to maybe focus and target specific areas. Right. And so if, uh, again, around the safety culture, how long? How long do you need to invest heavily in this to see the change and achieve your safety goals? That's a bit of a vague question, but maybe you can provide some insight on that. I think the first thing I always say to people is safety is a journey. Okay. And you generally would do your culture assessment, look at your safety system. From those two, uh, identify some gaps. Mm-hmm. I think it's always um, important to, to have an action plan and that you have a regular kind of cadence of accountability with folks. Mm-hmm. So what are those goals you're going to set within the organization around safety? Yeah. And how are you going to hold people accountable? Right. I wouldn't want to say that you can do it in two years, four years, six years. Yeah. It really would depend on, uh, I think, the scope and scale of the change that you're looking for. Yeah. And also um, some of those key aspects I spoke of earlier around uh, leadership support. Okay. And then related to what you just said, what are one or two of the most significant barriers to safety culture? And how do you suggest overcoming them? Sure. So one of the things that I think often is, um, I think, unanticipated is the complexity of safety. Uh Um, You have multiple stakeholders involved. Uh, You have, uh, of course, bodies of oversight. So in Alberta, you have WCB Alberta. You also have OHS Alberta. And within an organization, you have HR, you have safety, then you have operational areas, maybe you have corporate support areas. And really when you're when you're digging into that question and, and looking at the problem of, of what you're looking to solve around safety, um, it generally involves multiple stakeholders and establishing what I would say is a shared goal. So, so what is it that we want to do? Uh, how are we going to do that? And really how are we going to resource that? There's no use in, in, in taking something like this on and not really giving it the focus and the support from a resource perspective that it, that it would require. So I think 
just recognizing the complexities would be for sure number one. Wow, that was not what I expected. Okay. <laughs> it really wasn't. No? Right, and uh, that was the last question. Yeah, I have a second part to that if you want. Oh, you do, all right. Well, uh, lay, lay the second part to that on us. Okay, go. Sure. And I think uh, one of the other barriers that I would highlight would be just that leadership commitment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Super important to have that uh, at the senior levels of the organization and for people to, uh, to live and breathe uh, safety and to demonstrate it every day. So, you know, as an individual, when I walk, walk into a building that I'm working at, and there's an icy spot, do I open the door and just walk by it? Or do I take the time to, you know, scoop up the sure grip and spread it over the icy spot? Right. So I, again, it's, it's leadership commitment. And I would say at all levels of the organization, um, when it comes to safety, um, some of our most effective safety leaders are, are really, you know, in, in various levels or various levels of the organization and wouldn't necessarily have the formal title of leaders. Right. Okay. So when you think about leadership commitment, it's not only the senior leader in the organization that has to support it from a, you know, from, from making it an important objective or an, or an important job that we uh, have to get done, mm -hmm. but also, um, you know, how do you also identify those leaders within the organization that are going to help you make the kind of change that you're looking for with respect to safety? So mm -hmm. a bit broader. Well, thanks, Paula. It's one of the most important topics and hopefully encouraged a few HR listeners out there to get more involved. We've reached the end of this episode. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time when I talk shop with another insightful guest.